This is our third installment in our series from Surviving to Thriving. And um, hopefully that uh, you've walked away with some great messages the past two weeks. If you haven't listened to them, they're certainly worth going back to listen to. So in 1987, um, before I was married to my wife, I lived in California. And we decided that we were going to go see my sister in Colorado for Thanksgiving. So we packed up and left work early on a Wednesday. We thought it'd be like an 11-hour drive to go from California to Colorado. And we started to drive. And when we got into Colorado, we hit a snowstorm. And as we were driving, it got heavier and heavier. And it was getting harder and harder to see where to go. So we would look out and we kind of follow the tracks. But as it got dark, people started to pull off into rest stops to spend the night. And the rest stops were getting very full. And later and later it went, there were fewer and fewer people on the road until it was just us in a tractor trailer ahead of us. And we were watching his lights and we were watching the tracks in the road just to try to find out where to drive. And it got really harrowing. We followed this one truck for hours. And about two in the morning, he pulled off at a rest stop and the rest stops were full. And we made the decision we wanted to go. We only had four days to celebrate Thanksgiving. We wanted to get there. So we were going to keep going. And so we went, and as we're driving in my little car, there were times that we couldn't tell where the road was. We couldn't see anything. There was nobody else on the road. And I was white-knuckling it for four hours. We got there about 7 in the morning. took us about 16 hours to get there. But we got there, and we had a great Thanksgiving. We had a great time. And on Sunday, as we were driving back from Colorado to California, it was a bright, sunny day. And then we realized... As we drove, we were driving on roads like this. I had no idea it was straight down from where we were driving. Had we known that, there's been no way that we would have ever made the trip. And the whole time we're commenting on this, this was stupid. What were we thinking to do this? And it was a foolish decision. But we made it, but the risk wasn't worth it had we known. So today we're talking about foolishness. And when I told my wife that I was going to be talking about this, I said, can you think of any examples where, you know, I've done something foolish? And she's all, well, what about the time you did this? And what about the time you did that? <laughs> and it's like she had a list. And I said, well, I can't share like 99% of those, um, but thanks. I, yeah, I've got my fair share of, of being foolish. But how many of you guys would consider yourself to be a fool? If I asked you if you're a fool... Nobody here would really say, first service actually, one guy did raise his hand and I went, good for you. But nobody would really say, I'm a fool. You know, yet we've all done foolish things. And we've all seen some super smart people do some really foolish things and to walk into things. And we look at it and we say, how can they be so smart and yet not see that what they're doing is a foolish decision? And they walk straight into it. And as I thought about foolishness and started to read the scriptures, I realized something. That every foolish thing that I've done started with a decision. So if we're going to make a way to avoid foolish decisions, we've got to make our decision-making process a little bit better. And that's what I wanted to talk about today. <clears throat> you know, I think a lot of us would go back and we'd undo some of the decisions that we made over time. But the problem is that our decisions, when we make them, they're very rarely done when there's no emotion involved. We almost always have motion involved. Have you ever had a bad relationship decision? Think about it. You were dating this person, and you, the whole time, you knew 
what you were doing. Well, you thought you knew what you were doing, and everybody's telling you this is not a good person for you. This, is a, this person's not right for you. Yet you were in love, or you were in lust, or you were in both, one of the two, and you knew inside this was not the right person for you, but yet you stayed in it. You might be watching me on a TV today that you had no intention of buying, but somehow you were in Best Buy, you saw the commercial, whatever, you, that impulse got you to buy the TV, and you ended up going, why did I buy this TV? I didn't even know it. I own one of those Ronco food dehydrators. You ever seen those? I saw it on an infomercial, and I, and I had to have it. I had no use for it. I had no reason to buy this Ronco food dehydrator, but I own one. You know, you might have been in a relationship, a toxic relationship, where everybody tells you this person's bad news, but you kind of like them, but you're kind of becoming like them, and everybody's telling you that I don't like what you're becoming, and you've got to make a decision. You might be in a job where you're being asked to do something that's unethical or a little immoral or maybe totally illegal. And you're saying, I know what I would tell somebody else to do if they were in my shoes, but it's different. It's me. It's, it's a lot harder when it's us, isn't it? You see, our emotions make us decide things that aren't always best for us. But once you have your heart set on something, then it's over, isn't it? You find yourself whipping out your credit card, you're handing the keys to your perfectly good car over to somebody else to get a new car that you don't want, can't afford, and you're going, walking away going, why did I do this? I have no idea why I did it. Because when it comes to convincing ourselves to make bad decisions, we are sales professionals, aren't we? We're really, really good at it. When it comes to building a case for something that you know you shouldn't do, know you shouldn't have, we're like lawyers. We should have a law degree. We're just, we're so good at it. Example, I had a rough day at work, so I deserve it. I'm going to have dessert tonight. What does having a rough day at work have anything to do with what you're going to put in your mouth? Nothing. But somehow we justify that. My rough day at work, right? Or I'm going to work out tomorrow, so I'm going to have dessert tonight. If I'm going to work out tomorrow, that has nothing to do with why I should reward myself tonight. In fact, it should be the reason that I don't have dessert tonight because I'm not going to work out today. It has nothing to do with it. But we can justify that case. We can argue that case that that's what we should do. I'm a victim to it, too. I wanted, in 1986, I wanted this car, the Subaru XT. This is a hot car. I, want, I know it doesn't look like that now, but look at the dashboard. I could see myself driving this car, and I had to have it. I needed it for my job because I was in sales, and, and it got better gas mileage. And it, it would, I couldn't drive around my crap box of a car. You know, I had to look like I was at least doing something right. And I bought this car. I couldn't afford this car, right? And none of that mattered. I didn't get good gas mileage. It wasn't more practical for me, but I had to have it. See, your mind is the greatest salesperson ever, and this is how it works. Your heart tells your mind, I want that. Go figure out a way to get it. And your brain, it's really smart because that's why it's a brain. But the brain goes, well, I'll take it from a want and I'll upgrade it to a need. Because it's much easier to justify a need over a want. Once it's justified, it's easy. You can justify drinking it, eating it, smoking it, staying in it, marrying it, dating it. You can justify any of that more than you can justify a want. But most of the time we know better, but we just keep listening to our confused reasoning long enough until we act on it, right? Isn't that weird? Isn't it weird? You're you're subconscious. We, if I asked any of you guys, you would say, no, I make decisions that I do things that are good for me. 
But yet we constantly lie to ourselves and we do things that are exactly the opposite. And we talk ourselves into things. We talk ourselves into things that we know we're going to regret later. It's weird, right? Your subconscious is a strange thing. The prophet Jeremiah, he knew this, and he ran into this constantly. So Jeremiah was an advisor to kings, and he would tell kings, look, God told me that if you do this, you're going to die. All your people are going to die. You're going to lose your town. They're going to burn it down. But if you do this, you're going to live, and you're going to prosper. And they'd go, no, we're going to do that. And they would do it, and then they'd throw Jeremiah in a cistern, or they would beat him. And he realized that all of these kings, once they had their mind made up, once they justified what they were going to do, it was over. And he wrote this. He said in Jeremiah 17, 9, he said, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And he had direct experience with this with tons of kings. And he was right. It's called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is... The tendency that when you want something or you want to do something and you've made up your mind about it, there's nothing anybody's going to do, even logic, that will talk you out of it. Parents, you guys have experienced this, right? Your kid comes to you and they say, Mom, Dad, I need this. And their logic is so stupid. And you're going, that makes no sense. How do you need that, right? We've all done it. I convinced my parents I needed a moped to deliver my paper route because if I had a moped, I could deliver more papers faster and make more money. And I knew the whole time I was talking them into it, I couldn't carry 400 papers while I drove a moped. There was just no way. I knew it the entire time I was saying it. But I had justified it in my mind. I had to have it, and I could never use my moped for my paper route. It didn't make any sense. And while some of our decisions... We look at it and say, you know, the short term, they don't, they don't last very long. Some of them last a lifetime. You know, sometimes it takes a lifetime or a generation for the outcome of a decision to work itself out. And you know, you think of that. Some of the things that we see in action today were from decisions people made a long time ago. What if Martin Luther King had never decided to come down south and get involved in the civil rights movement? What if Billy Graham had never acted in obedience to do a revival or a crusade? What if Moses had agreed, not agreed to lead the Israelites? Or what if Paul had decided Christianity was a bunch of bunk? It wasn't worth it. What if Ruth had never decided to take care of her mother-in-law and move in with her? You see, our private decisions that we make, they have public implications. And our personal decisions will affect people, whether we like it or not, and they can have very public effects. Look at cancel culture today. Look at people that are making a very private decision, but the public implications that it has. Your decisions can have a lasting impact over generations. If you have kids, or even if you think you're going to have kids, your decisions can last generations. I bet there's some of you who in this room or listening online could say, you know what, you're right, because if my dad had never decided to pick up that bottle or to raise his fist, my life would be very different. Or they could say, if my mom hadn't left us for the other man and just left us, my life would be different. But maybe it's just the opposite of that. Maybe you could have the testimony and say, 
if my, my life would be very different if my dad hadn't gotten a hold of his anger and taken control of his drinking problem. And my life would be very different if my mom hadn't stuck out the marriage and made it work instead of leaving. See, our decisions can last a long time. And every time that you make a decision, it runs through a little filter in your mind. You ask yourself questions like this, you know, is this going to make me happy? Is it going to be good for me? What will others think if I marry it or date it or purchase it? You know, is this the right thing to do? And that decision happens so fast, you don't even know you do it. It goes so quickly. But we run it through a filter. And you have that decision-making filter already inside of you, and you use it every day, multiple times a day. But today, I want to add two questions to your filter that I think are going to help you. This first question I heard years ago from Andy Stanley, and it just stuck with me. Because it was such a simple question, but such a hard question, and such a game changer, that this is the question he asked. He said, am I being honest with myself, really? Am I being honest with myself, really? Because, you see, after we start to believe some of the lies that we've told ourselves, and we start to justify the way that we think and we act, we don't consider it foolishness anymore. We don't even see it. We've justified it. There's a good chance every person in this room has either participated in a decision to purchase something or you've been in a relationship or a destructive habit or behavior that was unwise. Anybody want to raise their hand? In the past year, have you been made a purchase that wasn't unwise, been in a relationship that was unwise, been in a destructive habit or behavior, right? We can go along and say, that was unwise. But if I told you, well, that was foolish, there's something weird about that word. It's a hard word for us to accept. It's the same thing, but if I said, well, that was foolish, well, I don't know if it was foolish. It might have been not been the wisest thing to do, but I wouldn't call it foolish. That word foolish isn't a word that we use, but it's the same thing. However, if we're honest with ourselves and we really get to the why of what we do, that's where we start to discover things. And when Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful above all things, There's something about that. There's a difference between being dishonest and deceitful. If you're dishonest, it just means that you're not honest. That's all there is to it. If you're deceitful, that's different. Deceit has an agenda to it. It has truth. It has half-truth. It has untruth all mixed together in an agenda. And he says your heart is deceitful. It's much harder to pick up on something like that. If your heart was just dishonest, it would be pretty easy to pick up that. It's not telling you the truth. If it's deceitful, much harder to pick up on. And there's no cure for it, but there's a better way forward. This is why we look back and we say, I don't know why I did that. I can't tell you. I would never tell somebody else to do what I did, and I don't know why I did it. It's the same reason we look at other people, some really super smart people, who have made really stupid, foolish decisions. I read, or yesterday, a friend sent me um, a text which just totally bummed me out. There was a, a, a preacher, a pastor. For years, I've respected this man. He's known worldwide, very respected pastor. And he passed away last year. And his ministry released a letter yesterday talking about there were allegations of sexual impropriety over the past three, four years against him. And they stood with him because he said he denied it. Found out, find out that it was all true. And it was just so shattering to me. It's like, but how? 
You're a man of God. You're out there every day, and, and, you're, and you're talking the Word of God, but yet on the side you've got these totally foolish sexual conduct going on. But it just goes to prove the fact none of us are immune to this. We all have the same heart condition. All of our hearts are deceitful. Renee Brown is a researcher at the University of Houston, and she calls this emotion of curiosity. She says, if you can push through the discomfort of finding out why you do what you do and what you do, then you get to the truth. And then you can find out when you're lying to yourself. And that's terrifying. For some people, that's absolutely terrifying because then you're accountable to yourself. But while it's terrifying to find that out, it's also liberating to know why. And we owe it to ourselves because some of your decisions have huge pieces of your future attached to them. And it comes down to this. Most of your foolish decisions are going to be in three areas. It's going to be a purchase, or it's going to be a relationship, or it's going to be a destructive habit or behavior. It'll fall into one of those three categories 90% of the time. Don't you wish you could talk yourself out of some of the decisions that you made in the past that you still feel? You know, when I was in California, I was selling alarm systems, and I would go to a home in Anaheim Hills, these really rich areas, these mansions, and they would want to put an alarm system in, and I'd pull up, and there's the luxury cars out front, and I'd go inside these enormous houses, and maybe three rooms had furniture in them because they couldn't afford the furniture to furnish the house. And it was the weirdest thing. And most of these couples, if I tracked it over time, that decision would ruin their marriage or get them into trouble because they'd have to keep up with that and would cause one foolish decision to cause another foolish decision to try to justify that lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera, and on and on it went. You know, what about a relationship? Were you in a relationship the whole time? You knew the warning signs and you saw the warning signs, but yet today that relationship has effects on you and your kids, and you're feeling that today. What about a destructive habit or behavior? You know, when you first started, it's like, I got this. It's no big deal. It's not really. It's pretty innocent, you know. But over time, it's owned you, and it owns you today. You know, the thing is that you have to have a heart-to-heart with yourself, and you have to tell yourself the truth, even if you don't intend to act on it. You've got to tell yourself the truth. Why do you do what you do? So ask yourself these questions, you know. Maybe the question is, why are you dating so-and-so when you know that it's going to work out? And if you're truly honest with yourself, maybe the answer comes back, you know, because I'm afraid of being alone. Or I don't want others to think that I'm not marketable or desired. Why are you truly filing for a divorce? Why? Really, if you're honest with yourself, maybe the answer is, you know, I want freedom to do what I want. At least that's the truth. I want to see if I'm marketable. Why are you taking this new job? Really, if you're honest with yourself, I want the title. I want the money. Why are you buying ABC? Why are you not calling your kids and spending time with them? Or why are you working so much and ignoring your family. Well, I, I want the money. Whatever it is. You know, why are you putting ABC into your body when you know that it's destructive for you? You see, if you're truly honest with yourself, that truth that comes back can be really scary. It can be terrifying, but it's also very clarifying. Because once you know that, you're empowered. And I want to tell you something. When I was in the shower this morning, God said this to me. He goes, 
there's somebody there that needs to hear this. That when you face the truth about a decision that you've made and you're carrying that around, don't let that define you. The decision that you made in the moment may have been foolish, but the world would have that define you. And it would keep you pressed down and it would keep you carrying that weight around your neck. And this is where the beauty of a relationship with Jesus Christ comes in. Because Jesus says, no, you're my son and you're my daughter and I love you. And you may have made a bad decision, but that doesn't define you. He'll pick you up and he'll restore you and he'll walk with you. Jesus said that the truth can set you free. When we're honest with ourselves and we can come to that point that we will acknowledge the truth, the truth sets us free because it's empowering. But the opposite of that statement is exactly true as well. Being dishonest will bind you and it will keep you bound up. But this is how you move forward. And if we're not careful, we can imprison ourselves with our own decisions and our foolishness. The Bible has a lot to say. I could have just read Proverbs today and we would have been fine. (laughs) But there's so much to say in the Word about this. Proverbs says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, only in expressing his opinion. And when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Haven't you met people like that that are so angry with the Lord? But if you look at their life, you see that all their decisions that they made led them to this point, but yet they're mad at God. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. You see, the opposite of foolishness is wisdom, and the Bible has so much to say about that. It says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere. So the second question I want to give you today to add to your mental grid is this. Are my thoughts and decisions and actions going to bring God glory and be pleasing to Him? You see, you don't have to sell yourself on a good idea, do you? If something's a good idea, you just know it. Very rarely do we have to sell ourselves on something that we know is right. But when we start to sell ourselves, that's when we have to press the pause button and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to ask these two questions. Am I being honest with myself, really? And is what I'm about to decide going to bring God glory and will it be pleasing to Him? See, we don't think of foolishness very often. In our society, you and I, are we go, 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 go. We don't spend time to step back and reflect and stop and think about a decision very often. It happens thousands of times a day we make decisions and our culture just gets us to go, 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 go. But that's when we make the decisions. Proverbs also says this, How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver? With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. So here's the deal. If we do this, you and I become empowered. You and I become powerful in this world only because you don't have the bad decisions and the results of those weighing around you God's able to direct your steps because you just pause long enough, just long enough to get that direction. And we can avoid the foolish decisions. A lot of people are going through life with all that weighing around them because they didn't pause. I'm going to read one more proverb to you. It's a long one, but I think it's worth it. Happy, 
Blessed, considered fortunate to be admired is the man who finds skillful and godly wisdom. And the man who gains understanding and insight, learning from God's word and life experiences. For wisdom's profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain is better than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies, and nothing you wish can wish for compares to her in value. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are highways of pleasantness and favor, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy is everyone who holds her tightly. The Lord, by his wisdom, has founded the earth. By his understanding, he has established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the clouds drip with dew. My son, let them not escape from your sight, but keep sound wisdom and discretion. And they will be life to your soul, your inner self, and a gracious adornment to your neck, your outer self. This is my favorite part. Then you will walk on your way of life securely, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the storm of the wicked when it comes, since you will be blameless. For the Lord will be your confidence, firm and strong, and will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. And I love what Ed said earlier, you know, so many of the things that give us terror at night, when we carry a wisdom around with us and we walk in wisdom, it says right here, your sleep will be sweet. So what do you do with this? What do you do with this? I have three, three things for you just to walk away with that I hope will help. Set aside some, some time this week. Make a commitment in the next seven days to set aside 20 minutes. Just put it in your calendar. And go before God and say, God... What do you want to tell me about the decisions that I make that own me? Things that own you, that you find your life is a certain way because of the decisions that you've made. And can you make a change? Number two of that is that, God, the decisions that I have in front of me, would you show me, would you show me the right way to go? Will my actions be pleasing to you? And am I being honest with myself? So number two, promise yourself to be honest. Just honest with yourself. You don't have to impress anybody when you're by yourself. You can just be honest. That's, that's clarifying. That's empowering to you. And the last thing is ask somebody that you trust, a spiritual friend, a spiritual advisor. Sit down and say, hey, what do you see in my life? What do you see where I might be off track just a little bit? And listen to them. Wisdom is getting counsel. So those three things, set aside some time. Make a promise to be honest with yourself and ask somebody else what they see. So if you'd stand with me, let's just pray. So Father God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for all the things that you put in there about wisdom in this handbook of life. Lord, if we just read it, you have so much just solid advice for us to avoid foolish decisions and to walk in wisdom. God, I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray as we go forward this week that you would empower us, that you would direct our steps. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and just prompt us. When we start to sell ourselves on something, you would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I've been here before. <laughs> and we can hit the pause button. We can ask ourselves the question, am I being honest with myself about why I'm doing this? And is what I'm going to do actually going to please God? If we can ask ourselves those two questions, we can walk in wisdom. So, God, I pray that you would help us this coming week to do that. And lastly, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who here this morning have carried around the consequences of a foolish decision that they've made for years, and they've just carried it as a weight upon their shoulders, God.
And I pray this morning that you would allow them to just set that down once and for all. Lord, that you would restore them. Help them to realize that the decision doesn't define who they are. What we did in a moment of time and with a lack of wisdom doesn't define us as a person. So God, I know that you're one who loves to restore us. You're one that, who has grace and mercy that you shower upon us. So I pray for my brothers and sisters who have walked that out for years, God, that you would give them freedom today from that. You would just help them to lay it here and leave it here today, Lord. Pick them up, Lord. Shower them with your love and restore them. Help them to be a mighty force in the kingdom for you, Lord. God, we lift up this week. We thank you for today. Thank you that we're able to come and worship you and spend time in your presence, Lord, that you would talk to our hearts or that we can have a relationship with you. We're grateful for that, and we give you honor and glory. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you like prayer, I'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great day. Enjoy. Enjoy.